Last Sunday, I shared with you uh, a theme for our church in the coming year, 2018, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. And the challenge that uh, I am putting before you is that every church member seek to have 12 gospel conversations in the year 2018. That's about one a month. That every month, I'm going to be looking for how God wants to use me to talk to someone about the gospel. Now, last week, I shared with you a, what you might share, the content of what a gospel conversation might be like. What is a gospel conversation like? Well, last week, I shared with you one way that you could share the gospel. I want to share, briefly review that. Some of you were in Las Vegas ringing in the new year. I don't know where you were, but uh, I'm glad you're back here today. And uh, so I want to just briefly review what I shared last week about what the content of a gospel conversation might look like. And so what uh, it is called is three circles. And uh, share a couple of ways that you can uh, have this. First of all, at the Welcome Center is a a booklet entitled Three Circles Life Conversation Guide. It has what I'm going to share with you briefly right now. I invite you to pick one of those up. Or on your phone, I would invite you right now to download the app, Three Circles. Uh, it'll, uh, if we go on to the Three Circles logo, it'll have a logo like this on it. It's free. It downloads very quickly. And uh, uh, you, it goes, you just swipe your phone, and it's going to put Circle 1, Circle 2, Circle 3, just like I'm going to show you it does on your phone. So it's a great way that you could have this content of a gospel conversation with you all the time. We got, a, we got slides ready to go. We're going to go through it here. Three circles. All right. Next one, three circles. Here we go. All right. So this, this presentation works really well, I think, with people who are having trouble, uh, people going through problems. And most people in life have some problems, don't we? And so, what's wrong with my life? Why am I having problems? How do I get out of these problems? And these three circles, share. it didn't used to always be like that. And so, you, you start with one circle, draw a circle on a napkin, a piece of paper. This is God's design. God designed a world that would work in harmony, work perfectly. God made everything good. And then you draw a line and label that line sin. The next slide shows that. And here's what happened. We messed up. Uh, sin is what has caused uh, us, we departed from God's design. And that leads to the next circle. Can you follow me? There's sin. Then the next circle leads to brokenness. And you draw that circle of brokenness. And because we've departed from God's, uh, uh, God's design, our own sin has brought a broken world. And things are not right. They're out of whack. And that's why we have problems. That's why our world is messed up. And, and we try to, to fix that on our own. And that's what all these little squiggly lines are, our efforts to fix our brokenness. Uh, but the problem is we cannot solve this problem that's bigger than ourselves. But the good news is, you draw the third circle, next circle says gospel. And the gospel is the story of Jesus, how God loved us so much that he intervened in our world to help us with our brokenness, to do what we could not do. He sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, to take the punishment for our sin and to break our problem of death. And so the line connecting that is to b repent and believe. And you draw that line, right? Repent and believe. And if you repent and believe the gospel, then the last line going up to God's design, you can recover and pursue God's design. You can uh, 
move back to where God wants you to be and begin to recapture some of his purpose for your life. Now that's just a really quick overview of what we talked about last week, but uh, that's one way to share in a gospel conversation. You could share, I've, I've learned something that has helped me to explain what's wrong with our world and how we can fix it. It's called three circles and you could go through that. Well, that, if that's the content of a gospel conversation, what I want to tell, talk to you today about is, that's the, the what to share, and I want to talk about the how to share. Um, how do I do that? I, you say, I, I just don't ever get to that point in a conversation where I could talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe the gospel, but I just don't ever get to that point. What can I do to get there? Well, I want to share with you five practices today. And we're going to illustrate each of these from the book of Acts. And I want to share with you five things that we can do to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Number one, the first thing that I want to encourage you to do in 2018 is to pray for people to be saved. There is great power in prayer. And so I want to challenge you to pray specifically for people to be saved. And the illustration of this principle comes from Acts 7, the story of Stephen. Stephen was a deacon. He was a bold witness for uh, Jesus, uh, but he was arrested by his enemies. He was, um, his defense, he angered them, and so they stoned him to death. And I want to pick up in that story in Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 57, and uh, read to you at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen prayed for the people who were stoning him while he was being stoned to death. The last words recorded that he spoke were a prayer for these people. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And one of them who was there was Saul and God answered this prayer for this lost man that Stephen prayed. And in the coming chapters of Acts, we see that Saul became a believer and became one of the greatest witnesses and preachers in the history of Christianity. And it began with a prayer of Stephen as he was dying. He was focused not only on himself, Lord, receive my spirit, but Lord, do not hold this sin against him. So I believe in the power of prayer for people who are not believers. And so I want to encourage you to pray. Now, I want to share with you, if you've been here in our church for uh, uh, years, you've heard me share this many, many times. But one of the most significant practices in my spiritual life is that every new year, I make a list of 10 people who, to the best of my knowledge, have not yet received Christ as Savior, and I pray for them throughout that year. There'll be some folks hold over. There'll be some new people. People come in or out of my life. Hopefully, some people get saved. But I make a prayer list of those. I've done it for 36 years. I started it in 1983. And every year at New Year's, I make a new list of people, and I try to commit myself to pray for them throughout the year. So that's what I want to encourage you, first of all, to do as we move into this theme. It doesn't have to be 10. Yours may be a different look differently, but would you in some way specifically 
specifically make a list of people that are on your heart, your friends, your family, your co-workers, and would you pray for their salvation as Stephen prayed for the salvation of those who were stoning him to death because God works through prayer. Now, the second thing that I want to encourage you to do as we move of turning these everyday conversations into gospel conversations, is then watch and listen to see what God is doing. Watch and listen to see what God is doing because as you pray for people, God will move in the lives of some people and you'll see an increased receptivity. It's not a guarantee. It's not everyone. But God, you know, he desires the salvation. We're just joining him in his work. And so we want to watch to see where he's working and listen to see what he's doing in the conversations of people around us. Illustrate this principle in Acts chapter 8. Another deacon named Philip. Persecution spread them from Jerusalem. Philip went to Samaria. He shared the, the gospel there. And then God moved him, said, go out to the highway that goes to Gaza. So Philip goes out to a highway. And, you know, I guess he's just standing out there, you know, watching stuff go by, you know. And then the Spirit, Acts chapter 8, verse 29 says to Philip, the, the Spirit told him, go to that chariot and stay near it. A, a chariot was coming by, and he was led by, moved by, spoken to by the Spirit when he was ready and willing. See, God worked in his life. See, God works in the lives of people to whom we'll share, and he works in our life and puts the two together. And he said, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so, I don't know, I guess you just sort of, you know, hey, how's it going? I, I don't know how that, what that looked like, jogging alongside a chariot. And the man was reading. Verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the man came to receive Christ as Savior. They came to an oasis by the road. They got down out of the chariot, and Philip baptized him there. And so the second practice or principle is to watch to see what God is doing. So I'm asking you in 2018, will you be attentive? Will you look at people differently? Maybe you've only looked at people as... Uh, uh, a future date, oh, I wonder if I might date her or him. We've looked at people as a future customer, oh, I wonder if I could sell them something. Would you look at people with the eyes of what is God doing and that person whom he loves and what does he want me to do? And as you pray and as you watch and listen, God will open doors. Now I want to share with you a third practice, and that is don't prejudge anyone. This is a big problem that God has with his followers, is that we tend to decide ahead of time who might be interested in a gospel conversation and who might not be. We prejudge people. Let me illustrate this in Acts chapters 9 and 10. First of all, in Acts chapter 9, God, after Stephen's prayer, moved in the life of Saul, who was an enemy of Christians, met him on the road to Damascus, and humbled him, and then God spoke to a Christian, Ananias, and told him to go see Saul. 
Now here's an interesting thing to me. God chooses to work through people. I'm thinking, God, you got his attention on the road to Damascus. You had a bright light. You had a voice from heaven. Why don't you just finish the job there and just tell, Anani- tell him all that he needs to do to be saved? God didn't do that. God uses human witnesses. So he's got Saul's attention. Now he goes to, to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go see Saul. He's in Damascus. He de- you need to go talk to him. Here's Ananias' response in verse 13. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias has prejudged Saul as being unreceptive. I don't think it's a good idea for me to go talk to him. He doesn't want to hear this, and I might get killed in the process. That's what Ananias is saying. God seems to think he knows more than Ananias does. So he says in verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles, my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And Ananias is convinced to go, and he is instrumental in the restoration of Saul. Now look at Acts chapter 10. And the very next chapter is another of the same example. There is a, a Roman centurion, a military guy, commander of a hundred in the Roman army, who God wants Peter to go talk to. But Cornelius is a Gentile. Jews are prejudiced against Gentiles, don't think they should go into Gentile homes. Gentiles are unclean. And so God has to work a series of visions to Peter to convince him that none of his creation is unclean. And Peter eventually agrees and goes to see Cornelius. And I know I'm just sort of summarizing the story and sharing with you one verse from it. Acts chapter 10 verse 28. And so Peter gets there to the house. Goes into this house of Gentiles. Which was a big step for him. And here's what he says. He said to them, you are well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You see, Peter had prejudged Cornelius, and God had to work in his life, just as he had to work in Ananias' life, who had prejudged Saul, to say, Nothing, no one is unclean. None of my creation is unclean. Do you see that in both of these stories, in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10, God has more problem with the Christian than the non-Christian in getting a gospel conversation going. Do you see that? But we, we think it's the other way. Oh, there are people, they don't, they don't want to know about Jesus. You know, I'd tell them, but they don't want to know. And in the biblical record, God oftentimes has more problem with us than he does with them. It's because we prejudge people. So here's how I want to encourage you to get over that. Here's what I want you to do in your office, in your factory, in your school class, in your dorm. You pick out the person that you think is the most unlikely to ever want to hear about God or become a Christian. You pick out the meanest, ugliest, dope-head atheist, I don't know, whatever. You pick out the person in your, that is the... And you love them in 2018, and you pray for them in 2018, and you befriend them in 2018. How would that go? It can't go bad. You just loved a person at the worst and befriended and prayed for a person. 
But could it be that, there's a, that there is a Saul or a Cornelius in your circles that we have just written off? They're not a church person. They, they would never be a God person. They'd never come to church with me or care about hearing about Jesus. And we write them off and we diminish the ability of God to save anyone. Don't prejudge people. Why don't you try it? Take up that challenge in 2018. The person you know that you think is the least likely to ever want to hear about Jesus, and you love them and pray for them this year and see what happens. Number four, the fourth practice that I want to encourage you in to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. This may sound silly, may sound obvious. Open your mouth and talk about the gospel. You see, I, I think that uh, many of us as Christians have retreated into silence. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We believe other people need to know about Jesus. But either because we think it's controversial or not politically correct or because uh, we, we, we've heard other people talk about religion and not live it. And so we've decided, you know, I, I'm just going to live it. I'm just going to let my life be a witness. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how they call on him and whom they've not heard, and how will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? God uses words, and yes, words alone are empty, but words are powerful as a part of God's plan. And so we gotta, we got uh, got to open our mouths and share the good news. I want to share with you a story from Acts chapter 16 to show the importance of those words. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are, are in a city and they're thrown in jail for preaching the gospel and they're put in the inner prison and they're, they're beaten severely with rods and then their, their feet are put in stocks, it says. And I probably wouldn't be too happy about all that, would you? But Paul and Silas are singing praises to God and praying in the, in the jail while this happens. God does a miracle. He sends an earthquake. It, it loosens all the chains, opens all the doors. The jailer figures everybody has fled and that he's going to be executed. And so he's about to commit suicide. And Paul yells out, hey, we're still all here. Don't kill yourself. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? You see, Paul and Silas had lived it. God had done a miracle, but he still needs that word of what must I do to be saved. Let me read it to you in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 30. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. Do you see that, that the living of the life of Paul and Silas laid the foundation? The miracle of God aided that witness. But he still asked them, tell me what I must do to be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So we're going to have to talk about the gospel. It's not just the living of it. Living of it is so important. But there must be the, the, the speaking of the gospel as well. So, 
what many of us have problems with is, how do I ever transition to a gospel conversation? We talk about everything else. Hey, what about that national championship game coming up? Hey, it's been cold weather. Hey, it's all. But we don't, and we may even talk about church. Uh, I love my church, but we never go beyond that. We've got to, you've got to, to, if you're this year going to engage in gospel conversations, you're going to have to have in your mind some transitions of where you'll move conversations to that at the appropriate time. I want to suggest two to you, an in, a direct one and an indirect one. And you, you'll have to come up with some on your own that you're comfortable with. But let me share with you two approaches to transition everyday conversations from gospel conversations. First of all is a direct approach. It's something that we ought to use with those people that, that, that we know. There are some of us, we just need to, there are some people, we just need to ask them, what will happen to you when you die and how do you know? There are some people in your life, our kids, our parents, our best friends, that we simply don't need to go through life with and never ask them, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die or will you go to heaven when you die? Now, you've got to follow that up with another question because 96% of the people in America are going to answer, I'm going to heaven or I don't know. That's going to be the two answers you're going to get. Very few people said, I'm, I'm going to hell. They've not confronted this. They, they're deluded. So you're going to ask them, how do you know? How do you know that? You got to, Mike, in case I, thank you. I may not need it. Let me have it in case I do. Thank you, sir. Uh, this one okay all right so for this transition what will happen to you when you die we've got to confront that we're all going to die it's the inevitability for all of us what's going to happen now you don't ask casual people that on the street probably what's going to happen to you when you die but there are some people you have a relationship and if you're a direct person and you love that person this is an appropriate way to, to ask somebody I you know I just got to ask you do you know what's going to happen to you when you die and if they say, I think I'm going to heaven, then you need to follow up and say, how do you know that? Because many people think it's because I've been a good person, I got baptized, I got christened, I've gone to church some, I give money to, to, to uh, Salvation Army or whatever it is. And the only right answer is something about Jesus or trusting in Him. So some of us need to transition conversations very directly to some people. But that won't work for all people. Let me share with you a second transition that's more indirect, that, that whenever there's an opportunity in a conversation where somebody is sharing a lack of hope or direction or purpose, then you can ask this question, may I share what's given me hope or purpose or comfort? You're asking permission. We're not wanting you to be a, a, a bully or to be intrusive in people. The Bible says, always give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason to hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This asks permission. And you're asking permission simply to share your story. And so one way to transition that conversation is to ask permission to share your story. Somebody shared, and I'm, having, I'm going through a tough time. May I share with you something that has given me whatever it is you need, hope or purpose or comfort. And then you just share your story. 
of how your life was broken and how you became to believe the gospel and how the gospel gave you purpose and helped you to recover God's original intent for your life. The fifth and final practice that I want to share with you as we seek this year to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations is analyze the response you receive. I want you to think about the response that you receive to any attempt to share a gospel conversation by red light, yellow light, or green light, okay? Let me share with you an example from Acts chapter 17, verse 32. Paul had opportunity in Athens to speak at the city council meeting. And when he spoke at the city council meeting, he talked to them about how God had created everything, and he ended it by talking about how God had sent his son Jesus and that Jesus would be the judge of all men and Jesus had been raised from the dead. And here were the three different responses to his gospel conversation. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, verse 32, some of them sneered. That's a red light response. But it says, others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. That's a yellow light. Verse 34, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. That's a green light. So here's the deal. Think about whenever you seek to share a red light. You know what you're supposed to do at red lights? You're supposed to stop at red lights. Uh, people don't like people who run red lights, do they? You don't like people who run red lights in your conversations. So when you get a red light, you stop, but be gracious. Red light, stop, be gracious. Next slide, please. Then... But that's those who sneer. There are going to be some people who sneer. They sneer. Just stop. Don't be pushy. But be gracious. Don't be insulted. Don't be angry. You, you might have sneered one time in your life too. And leave, When you're gracious, you leave that door open for other conversations because it may be a time when that red light turns to a yellow or green light. Second response is a yellow light. And it says, some of them said, we'll hear you later. A yellow light is, says, extend the conversation. You know what I do when I come to a yellow light? I try to extend my driving just a little bit more if I can, you know. You, you cautiously, say, is there an opportunity later to go further? And then there's a green light. And you know what's just as bad as running a red light? It's sitting there at a green light, right? You don't want to sit there at green lights, right? At green lights, you want to go. If somebody's responsive, you need to, to give an invitation and give them the opportunity to receive Jesus as Savior by believing in Him right then. I hope those things help you in some way to be conscious of and to turn gospel converse, everyday conversations into gospel conversations. So here's what I want to do in our invitation. I'm going to invite you if you want to come down here and pray for somebody for just a moment and go back to your seat. As we begin 2018, what better way could we begin than begin by praying, God, help me to be your witness in this year. Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Maybe you'd want to come and just kneel here somewhere across the front for just a moment and say a prayer for that person and then, then return to your seat. I want to invite you and encourage you to do that this morning. 
And then there may be others of you that today you need to respond to an invitation to receive Jesus as Savior. What a great day to do that as we begin this year. And I'm going to invite you to come to me. So as some are coming to pray, if you want to join our church, we would welcome you. Or if you want to come and become a follower of Jesus, just come to me or another pastor, and we'll be glad to receive you. Let's sing together. Would you stand together with me?